Rivetti, what's up? I'm sorry, sir. It's just a difference of opinion that got out of hand. What about? It's really too silly to talk about, sir. I'd rather just forget about... I don't give a damn about what you'd rather forget about. Why were you two fighting? Well, I said that the Kirby Silver Surfer was the only real Silver Surfer. And that the Mobius Silver Surfer was shit. And Benefield's a big Mobius fan. And things got out of hand. I pushed him, he pushed me. I lost my head, sir. I'm sorry. Rivetti, you're a supervisor. You can get a commission like that. I know it, sir. You're 100% right. It's never happened again, It right? better not happen again. I see this kind of nonsense, I'm gonna write you up. You understand? Do you understand? Yes, sir. You have to set an example, even in the face of stupidity. Now, everybody that reads comic books knows that Kirby Silver Surfer is the only true Silver Surfer. Now, am I right or wrong? <laughs> You're right, sir. All right. Get out of here. Yes, sir. Traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. folks welcome to another stellar edition of afro nerd featuring captain kirk the midweek review edition of our podcast the call in number 646-915-9620 again 646-915-9620 two hours of fun facts and most definitely fire uh we have to talk about the passing of historical figure dictator and Cuban president Fidel Castro. I'm going to go into well, into a little bit of his history. I have some clips, but I'm going to take it from an angle that I don't think enough people are actually honing in on. Uh there is a there is definitely a difference on perceiving Fidel Castro. I mean, I mean, if you're going to be honest, really, this would actually, uh, this would actually cover many of our world leaders, if we're going to be honest. And that includes even President Barack Obama. And who knows what to expect from President-elect Donald Trump? 
But when it comes down to how Fidel Castro, the late Fidel Castro, is being perceived through the eyes of folks of color, black people in the Americas specifically, and whites, and by extension, white Cubans, it's pretty fascinating. So I have some clips. I'm going to give you some information off the top of the dome, some things that I, I'm familiar with with, with um, Castro, and it should be pretty interesting. And of course, the the indefatigable Captain Kirk is going to have his 15 cents, not two cents, 15 cents to contribute as well. So let's go to a Yuletide groove. Yes, folks, tomorrow is December 1st, so you're going to have to bear with it. We have to be respectful in playing holiday music, but I'm always trying to give you Oh, well, you know, something a, a little bit more, um, a little bit more meat. So, you know, with it being holiday uh, music, it's still urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, jazz, and so forth. So this is iconic songstress, Etta James. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Give you about two minutes. Uh, wow, what a powerhouse. Great jam. We'll be right back, folks. Let's groove.
right, folks. Time constraints and all that. Etta James, have yourself a little merry little Christmas. It is the Yuletide, Yuletide groove, folks. We have to do this. Anyway, this is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. And let's just get into it. Speaking of the captain, captain is here. No beaming necessary. Captain, let's just get into it. Let's groove. That was a sticky boy. <laughs> I knew something boy, was up. <laughs> I knew something was up. All right. Over to you, sir. Folks, um, well, again, you know, we try to be an information-based program. Of course, we talk about blurred stuff, nerds of color stuff, comic books, science fiction, fantasy, and, 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 and so forth. But we also touch on history current events, science, tech, and all, all the different facets that one who would consider, consider himself or herself uh, a blurred or a nerd of color, the, the interests that we allegedly aren't supposed to have, uh, we debunk those stereotypes every day here at AfroNerd Radio. So anyway, and if you'd like to join in, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the call-in number remains the same, 646-915-9620, again, Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. So, as I stated at the top of the show, Fidel Castro is no longer in the building, and I wanted to um, discuss this for for a, for a few moments because I, I find it interesting that it's not just the fact that you have a historical figure that is passed on, and this ha- this has been a very, at least in my estimation, a very odd year, two thousand sixteen, with these deaths of notables from Prince to to David Bowie to Fidel Castro to to Florence Henderson. I mean, you know, you really have some iconic figures representing a certain time in our country. So with Fidel Castro, um, the angle I wanted to really attack deals with race. Now, we know that Fidel is of, of Hispanic-Cuban origin, but the deal with him is that he was a Marxist-Leninist college student turned, uh, one would say, a aggressive radical warrior overthrew the Cuban government at the time by Fulgencia Batista, the, the Batista regime, and all hell broke loose with how Cuba conducted itself, being 90 miles off of Florida and in close proximity, of course, to the United States. So I'm going to go into this a, a bit more, but I do want to play some, some initial clips, and then I'll, I'll dig deep. But I don't see enough people discussing – not really. I think Roland Martin has a clip, which I'll play. Um, news correspondent, News One news correspondent, uh, Roland Martin, he's tackling some of the issues 
centered around race and how black folk perceive Fidel Castro and how whites, and as I, as I said, um, white Cubans or white Latinos, those who consider themselves white, uh, how some of them are weighing in on this. And even, as a matter of fact, there's even a distinction uh, as to how Castro is perceived by region. Now, we know that in Little, Little Havana in Florida, where you have many of these, these um, expats from Cuba, how they were, were literally rejoicing at the death of Fidel Castro. Of course, those who are still in the country, uh, Cubans in Cuba, they're not rejoicing, at least not outwardly. And if you go further up north, uh, where you may have more of a, of a progressive slant, you had folks that were, you know, uh, distraught or sad or concerned or, 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 or lamented the passing of Fidel Castro. So it, it's not that simple to just label him a – and then that's the end of it. There's no other discussion. There are, there are factions in this country that would want you to weigh in on it, weigh in on his passing exclusively that way. But again, he was a very complicated world leader, and many of the accomplishments stemming from his regime, even though there's a lot of death, a lot of dissidents were, were taken out, even, even beyond what he did to many of the Cuban citizenry, Cubans have extremely, extremely low morbidity rates. They, they live longer than Americans. Uh, they have a world-renowned medical, med, world-renowned medical facility or facilities, I should say. Uh, I think they have more doctors, more doctors in that country, regionally, than any other place in the world, if I'm not mistaken. So we, we, we've got to get into this. We've got to get into this. So let me play a couple of clips, and then I'll, I will expound more. Uh, again, discussing the passing of Fidel Castro. Uh, now, where's my clips? Now, why can't I find my? Here we go. Bear with me, folks. Live radio. These were just downloaded. So we should be there. And also, again, folks, feel free to join in on our discourse, 646-915-9620. Okay, here we go. This is ABC News. Fidel Castro dies at 90. Hold on. Breaking news out of Havana, the death of Fidel Castro. The college activist who became a rebel, who became president, the de facto dictator of Cuba, dead tonight at the age of 90. The announcement made this evening by Cuba's president and Castro's younger brother, Raul. No word yet on the cause of death. Barely a whisper on the streets of Cuba since the announcement was made on state television. But a very different scene here in the U.S. Take a look at Miami's little Havana at this hour. Cars lining the street, young and old waving the Cuban flag, honking car horns, chants of freedom. To his supporters, Castro was a hero of the Cold War, a socialist with swagger. But to his enemies, and there were many in the West, he was a cold-blooded killer who ruled by force, who crushed the dreams of Cuba's people for generations. More now from ABC's Jim Avila. 
For a half century, Fidel Castro ruled Cuba while the world changed around him. Fifty years of isolation finally ended only after he left power, and only with his tacit blessing. Castro remained skeptical and suspicious of the U.S. right up to his death, defiantly commenting after President Obama's historic visit that Cuba will never forget the Bay of Pigs invasion and does not need America. His defense of his communist revolution never faltering. I am a communist, a Marxist socialist communist. I am not afraid to say I am a communist. Fidel Castro was born in 1926 out of wedlock to a wealthy Cuban landowner and his maid. He went to Catholic schools and then studied law. His two passions were baseball, he was very good at it, and politics. He became an activist for the poor and working class. In 1956, after being expelled by Cuba's American-supported dictator, Fulencio Batista, Castro returned secretly with his brother Raul, Argentinian Marxist rebel leader Che Guevara, and others. They hid out in the Sierra Maestra Mountains, from which they waged a guerrilla war. The road to Havana, paved with glory for rebel chieftain Fidel Castro. Castro finally expelled Batista and took over. Fidel had promised democracy, but squashed all dissent with jail or expulsions, even executions. He nationalized all U.S. businesses. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy, just elected, approved the CIA-trained invasion force of 1,300 Cuban exiles who went ashore at the Bay of Pigs. Castro demolished them. A huge propaganda victory. In 1962, American spy planes discovered Castro had let the Soviets put nuclear missiles in Cuba. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. Yes, we were very close to the nuclear war, extremely close. Ultimately, the Soviets removed the missiles. Fidel continued to promote leftist movements in Latin America, where he remained popular until his death. Even Castro's critics praised his advances in health care and in education. But the inefficiency of Cuba's Soviet-style economy produced dissent. In 1980, more than 125,000 Cubans, some expelled, many allowed to just leave, braved rough seas and dehydration to come to the United States in the Marial boat lift. In the early 1990s, the fall of the USSR cost Cuba billions of dollars in Soviet aid and trade, leading to widespread shortages and rationing. With the demise of the Soviet Union, we have suffered the equivalent to a treason. We have felt betrayed. Castro fought back by courting tourism and business. In 2006, just before intestinal surgery, he gave up power temporarily to his younger brother Raul. He never took the reins again, made it official in 2008, but he was not totally gone. Started writing newspaper columns, receiving visitors, including Hugo Chavez of Venezuela. Then suddenly, in the summer of 2010, he began displaying his indomitable drive again in public, giving TV interviews, laying flowers at the tomb of the fallen, exhorting the communist youth, and addressing the Cuban parliament. Now the world will see how a new era of Cuban-American diplomacy changes his island home with Fidel Castro gone and the Americans gradually returning. It may be no longer Fidel Castro's Cuba. 
Our thanks to Jim Avila for that report. All right. Um, again, folks, we're back. The bit we can review edition of, of Afro Nerd and Captain Kirk. Um, remember, folks, if you'd like to join in on our discourse, press one. That way we know we know that you're almost physically uh, raising your hand to join in. So um, there's more clips, but I want to just give give you some some more backstory on Fidel Castro and Cuba specifically. Um, as far as Cuban history is concerned, there have been a number of, of, of regimes since Cuba's independence. So remember, Cuba was, was a colony of Spain. And with, with their uh, war of independence, you had uh, a Gerardo Mercado. Ger- remember that name, Gerardo Mercado who was the, the acting president after, the, after they were successful with – there were a number of wars actually preceding um, the, the formal independence of, of Cuba from Spain. But uh, eventually he became the president, uh, let's say in the early, early to mid-1920s, I think to like 1932, 1933. Now, before, before – um, Castro, again, Machado, then Machado gets overthrown by Fugencio Batista. That was around 1940. 19, um, um, with Batista, this is what I mean by actually having a nuanced view of who Castro was. Batista allowed for uh, the mafia to put their tentacles, the, the American mafia, to put their tentacles in Cuba financially. So no one mentions this in the discussion. Again, I'm not trying to make Castro into a saint by any, by, by any stretch of the imagination. But when it came down to, you know, let's say, 1940 and early 1950s Cuba, it was a, a tourist resort for American players. You had prostitution, you had drugs, um, and you had gambling, especially in Havana, Cuba, under the Batista regime. And this was, this was uh, bankrolled by the mafia. This is true. So, with the corruption that was attached to the Batista regime, you had this this growing progressive Marxist-Leninist movement helmed by Castro that was was successful in usurping power from Batista in 1959. He was able to extricate all those entities that were crooked – that was to, that was that allowed for uh, Cuba, Cuba, as they say, Cuba to be the playground for the wealthy and the ne'er do wells from the states internationally. But let's say from the states, uh, uh, from the states specifically, Cuba at that time was extremely romanticized. A Marxist-Leninist comes in. <laughs> 
and basically decimates all of that. So you're talking about somebody who's disrupting money, disrupting access. What he does also is to remember that you had a, a, you had a segregationist color line in Cuba that was very commensurate to what was going on in the States. Castro comes in and talks about equality. Uh, he talks about um, um, essentially deconstructing. I mean, they still have racism. They still have racism to this day in Cuba. But as far as legally, he can deconstruct this and is, and is very open about raising the profile of Afro-Cubans. That's one of the one of the, the, the hallmarks that black folks in the, in the Americas gravitate toward. Um, also, once he once he assumed the reins, uh, you know this is, this becomes a power play. I mean, you essentially have, um, and this was mentioned in the clip, you you have Russia coming into play to provide support for for this for this new government. You had the Bay of Pigs, which was a failed – there were several failed assassination attempts, a failed coup on the part of the Americans. You had a young president, JFK. He was being tested. His mantle was being tested, and he somewhat failed. So you have – again, remember this. 1959, black folks in the Americas looking at this, and even black people internationally, you still had apartheid. And there's a there's an apartheid anti-apartheid movement connected to to uh, Fidel Castro. Also, um, you have black folks still dealing with in the Americas dealing with their own apartheid. We we were not the same black folks that you see today. Although there are people now trying to bring us back to those days, but I digress. Black folks were a- able to connect to Castro because he was very open about deconstructing race. And when, and when he assumed power and even made a visit in 1960 to, to Manhattan, to New York, uh, he met El Haj, well, he wasn't El Haj El Malik Shabazz at that point, he was Malcolm X. You see where we're going here. He meets, he meets Malcolm X in Harlem, stays at the Hotel Teresa in 1960, a famed Harlem hotel, and talks about black folks in the in this country also needing to be treated more respectfully. So, uh, this was not to be tolerated by some of the the folks in in the the, the European power structure. On top of that, as was mentioned, um, you, you know the Cuban Missile Crisis was exactly that. We're talking about it at a time we're in the middle of the Cold War still. And you have 90, 90 miles away from the shore, from, from American shores, you have this upstart country being allowed to have weaponry pointing at the Americas. So this, this could be one reason why, one of a number of reasons why Castro to this day is not necessarily a beloved figure. Now, again, not to take away from the death squads, the dissidents being killed, the dissolution of, of free press. I mean, this was, a, this was a socialist government. 
But at the same time, to this day, you have to make note of many, many um, medical improvements have come out of out of Cuba. I mean, even to this day, there's talk about there being some kind of uh, some kind of really forward-thinking treatment for lung cancer to this day. So when you when you factor in uh, the, the the literacy rate, the, the high literacy rates in Cuba, when you factor in the fact that you can study, uh, go to school for free, especially medical school, and even many of the black doctors in Harlem made that made that trek to Cuba and and, and internationally so, but I'm talking about black folks specifically, were able to attain their their medical education again for free from Cuba. Um, these things have to be acknowledged. So when black people talk about Fidel Castro, it's from a different angle versus the white Cubans who were moneyed, propertyed, and would be considered, and I use my words carefully, would be considered phenotypically white. Uh, Not all, but many they had to go. That property was going to be taken, was going to be nationalized. It was going to be taken by the government. So they had a lot to lose. A lot of, a lot of Cubans fled, a lot of uh, native Cubans, white Cubans fled Cuba to, to end up where, you, where, where we see them today in Little Havana. So their perception of, of Fidel Castro's leadership is distinctly different than the many Afro-Cubans that, again, experience racism to this day, but far worse during the time, um, during the early part of the, of the of between Batista and going into the Castro regime. And then you had Che Guevara, who was Castro's right-hand man, who, who you know, essentially, I mean, Castro, I mean, pardon me, um, Guevara was a doctor. He also was a leftist. Uh, he has been romanticized. We see him on T-shirts. Uh, many young, many young progressives to this day reference Guevara, who essentially set up the militia during the Cuban Revolution. He also oversaw the tribunals uh, against war criminals. I mean, so I mean, this guy was. Romanticized, and then the devil at the devil at the same time. I mean, he's a doctor, very well educated, but then then again, he was a mercenary. I mean, he 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 assisted in the Angola conflict. Uh, he was willing to 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 bring it to um, the the Boers during the 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 uh, apartheid regime in South Africa. Um, I mean, these guys are some bad guys. So, uh, as an African American, you know, you have to look at it. You don't have to, but many African Americans are looking at it from a different perspective. From Castro, yes, we know he's, he's a, he was a, he was a, a, a dictator. Many would say a monster, but you know, at the same time, you know, he was kind of repping for the black man. He met with with Malcolm X, broke bread, said that um, you know, and, and also uh, I keep on thinking of other things. Again, again, I'm talking about I'm talking off the top of my of the dome, Joanne Chesimard. Asada Shakur, 
is in Cuba to this day. He provides solace for her when she was accused of killing a New Jersey state trooper. So um, that, that's about it for me. I mean, I could go into this much more deeply because you're talking about an extremely complex history with Cuba, a complex leader. But I thought it was important to, to, to kind of angle in on it from how many black folks, not all, but many black folks in America, America's perceive Fidel Castro. It's a stark many of the, the um, Main Street white folks, how they perceive them, perceive him and, and, and Cuba's regime. Um, President Barack Obama has opened the door to Cuba, so we will see how that work out again. We'll, we'll, again, will we see... Uh, obviously more renewed commercial interest. You know, there was an embargo, and we remember all these old cars that weren't allowed to really – we weren't really dealing with uh, Cuba the way we did, definitely not the way we did during the Batista regime. So I think folks are looking to get back – go back there again. We will see how Trump plays this. We will see how he plays this, but it would, it would be ahistorical for Trump to dismantle what Obama has even accomplished after decades of not being able to really deal with, with Cuba. So um, I'm sure that Captain Kirk has his, his piece on this. We have a few more clips, and then we'll move along. But I figured I, I would give some perspective on the Castro regime and how people are actually looking at him based on who you may be, who you are. Cap, what are your thoughts on the passing of Fidel Castro at 90? Well, this is what I'll say. No regimes are perfect. None of them. None of them. None of them are perfect. Everyone's looking for a perfect regime. Now, you have regimes that are analogous. They're not quite the same. Analogous. All right? When you look at mainland China, not Hong Kong, mainland China, they stand up to the United States. There is some dealings, of course, that goes on, but they don't give the United States everything. They don't give NATO everything that they want either. When you see North Korea, you know what they're about. When you see Iran, you know what they're about. And to a certain extent, Venezuela. Regimes analogous, not the same, not the same. And I'm from the ilk that I'm in a different area. And at times I'm dealing with a different demographic. You should be able to run your regime the way you want. We also know what creates terrorism. When you bully people, eventually the little guy eventually starts knifing other people. This is what happens. You know, you see it in school, you see it in everything else. Eventually, you mess with someone and they, and they fight back. When, when you look at, when I look at Fidel Castro, I like the fact that he was lockstep in respect to the education. You know, and this is something I talk about from time to time with building memes amongst your people. You Cuban, man, let's go. This is what we as Cubans do. Let's go. And what happens when you start doing this, you see what happened with Nazi Germany. <laughs> they, had to, they had to shut them down. You know, where people are walking lockstep. You see what's happening there in North Carolina, I mean, North Korea. They're starting to get better and better scientifically. You know, you see what's happening in China. They're starting to get better and better with things, not just good builders and everything else, doing their own thing, doing their own thing. Iran, you're still lagging behind. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. You get it together. Venezuela, you're still lagging behind. You get it together. Don't worry. You know, look to the Chinese and North Koreans. 
you know, when you're moving lockstep in certain things. So this is something I respected about him, you know. We, we, we're here in this country. We could do everything, right? That's the pro. You have a lot of functionally illiterate people here in this country. Why is that? You have a lot of people here living on the street. Why is that? There's pros and cons. So what I'm saying is no regime is perfect. No regime is perfect. And you should be able to do your regime the way that you want. If there was a fair world, but it's not a fair world, you know, and power is going to rule out. That's ultimately what it is. So I had a lot of respect for him, had a lot of respect for him in what he did. The matter of fact, he stood up, stuck his chest out, the high literacy, literacy rate, the things with the medical field, you know, he was one of the first ones to use ozone for, can, for cancer, <clears throat> something I spoke about on the show before, you know. So I had a lot of respect for the individual, a lot, a lot of respect. But once again, those regimes that I mentioned, they're analogous. They're not the same. And no regime is perfect. Something may fit you better, you know. It might be you living in America. It might be you living in Australia. It might be you living in Africa somewhere, you know. It might be you living in China. No regime is perfect. All right. Are you there, Cap? Cap? I don't know what happened to Cap. Cap, okay, let's go, let's go to the phones. Uh, 484, I guess Cap might have, might have gotten had some problems. 484, welcome to the midweek. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. Uh, it's me, Q-Storm. How you doing? Hey, what's up, man? So, you know, um, I, I, I will freely admit, and I don't mean this to sound callous or anything like that, but um, I admit ignorance. I, I don't really have a dog in the race in regards to Castro. But I, 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 as you know, I'm a Star Trek fan, so I'm going to use an analogy. There was an episode of Voyager where um, the doctor had to operate on someone, and he enlisted the aid of a scientist, an alien scientist, who had done horrible experiments on patients to retrieve his data that would help the patient that the doctor needed to operate on, and the patient refused his help because he said <clears throat> he said that he would he didn't want to benefit from the torture and suffering of other people. So it was it was kind of like an, a, a metaphor for um, the Nazi regime in World War II and some of the doctors that experimented on patients there. What, what do I mean by that? So I have a couple of friends who are from Cuba, and when Obama first made. Uh, overtures to open up trade and what he's done thus far with Cuba. I spoke to them because, like I said, I don't know much about it, or much about Castro other than what I've, you know, what I've heard in passing. And they made it clear that they had no support of what Obama was doing in Cuba. And I asked them, well, why? What's that? Why, why, why is that? And the one guy who is a friend of mine to this day, we do business together, he told me that um, he's an artist. <clears throat> and his dad, his father, is an artist. His father's still with us. And he said that when he was a little kid, they were living in Cuba, and his his father, who was against the Castro regime, painted a picture of Cuba uh, of uh, Castro sitting on the knee of some of a devil or something like that. I can't remember the details. But he had Castro looking like a puppet sitting on the knee of of Satan, and he 
his father was put in jail for 25 years for that. And that really threw a bucket of cold water on my head. And I'm like, wow. So it, it really gave me some sort of um, focus in terms of, well, a lot of the Cuban people are not really into this. They, they really don't support this guy. So what I'm saying is that I understand what you're saying, that maybe people of color in some tertiary way may have benefited or may have something to, to say they support Castro. But I don't know if I want to benefit from a man who would subjugate someone for 25 years just for expressing himself. So Can I just wanted to... Can you guys hear me? Yeah, now, yeah, you you kind of slipped off somehow. Okay, I don't know what happened. All right, let me just interject well, this real quick. Sure. Real quick, and I'll pass it back to you. It sounds like you know, and you're entitled to your opinion, Q, of course, because this that's what this is all about, it's opinions. It seemed like Afro-Nerd was saying different strokes for different folks. That's what it seemed like to me. That's what I got from that. You know. It's not one size fits all with this thing. And that's why we have the different opinions. You know, we have different opinions. Even my opinion is entirely different from the typical black person, where I went with it. Something entirely different, you know? So back to you, Afternoon. Yeah, well, you know, again, I guess my, my issue, Q, is that there isn't really any world leader, past or present, that you can point to that doesn't have blood in their hands. That 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 I mean, in this country, this country was extremely violent toward black people, and and this is not to um, make an excuse, but it's to put things into perspective. That this country, uh, up until really re- really recently, you have to remember, you know, at the time that even Fidel Castro visited Harlem in 1959, you had. You were just a, uh, a few years away from thousands of lynchings by black folks with, with hardly any convictions for, for, the, for the perpetrators. That, that, that was what life was like for black people in 1959. You know, you, you, had, um, you had segregation, slavery. Uh, we're still dealing with we are still dealing with these issues in 2016 going to 2017, and this is in the this is in the the land of the land of the free. I mean, uh, for those who critique Kaepernick and Kaepernick uh, also shouted out Fidel Castro, and he he's being hated by by many many people, especially white jingoists. In uh, the national anthem that he's supposed to be disrespecting. These folks absolutely refuse to admit or acknowledge that, that there was there was an omission in the national anthem that was you know very very much an, an F you to, to to uh uh black slaves in this country. The Declaration of Independence was was, was, was independent for, for white people, white property males. It had it had nothing to do with, with our forefathers. So uh you know, when people talk about patriotism in this country, when people talk about patriotism in this country, and you spout off facts to these to these white patri- patriots, they act like they don't hear you. So, what's analogous 
and you flip it to what happened with the, the Cuban Revolution again. 1959, Fidel Castro usurps power from Batista. Batista was in cahoots. This is what America, this is, this is, your, this is what the land and the free milk and honey did. The American mafia basically was the, were the underwriters for the Batista regime and multinational corporations before, before Castro. This is, this is factual. This is, this is true. You had uh, moneyed, moneyed Europeans going to Cuba before Castro, during Batista, for gambling, for drugs, and for prostitution. Whoring. So, you know, it was fine because Batista, Batista wasn't a cakewalk either. It was fine when that was allowed. Once those, once, once the, the, the socialism, socialism came in and the missiles started being pointed at the same folks, at the, at the benefactors, then there was a problem. And you had segregation in, in Cuba that um, Castro disavowed. Castro was, Castro was willing to, and had, had lent support to, the, to Mandela for his, his issues with the apartheid regime. So, I mean, when you factor in all that, as a black man, how are you supposed to perceive? How, 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 do, how, do, how does your friend answer you in that regard? Well, let, uh, let me I ask mean, it does mean, but it's a, it's a, what I'm saying is it's a complicated issue. Well, I would just ask you, I think one can make it complicated, but, and again, I'm not not saying I'm 100% on one side of the fence, but what I'm saying is, do I want my freedom at the expense of someone else's freedom? That's the basic moral question. And I don't know if I can easily say, yeah. Okay. I don't know if I can say that. The United States dropped the bomb on Japan. So much for the United States. Yeah, twice. <laughs> twice. You know, so much for the United States. The only people proven to use the nuclear weapons. <laughs> so much for the United States. And, but we live it in here really good. And when black soldiers liberated Dachau, <laughs> Dachau, uh, and what was the, uh, the other, um, I can't think of the, the other camp. Notable camp Auschwitz. 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 Thank you. Um, you know what? What, what, the, what those heroes? What those heroes got was uh, on trains with with German POWs. They were still black. So the German POWs, these devils—that's what they were. They were they were reprehensible murderers. They were still respected by the, the American government by having them put in cars sitting in front of black folk, black heroes. This is what America does to you. So all I'm saying is I'm not, I'm not even positioning Fidel Castro as a hero by any stretch of the imagination. All I'm saying is it, you may want to have a more nuanced perspective as a black person as to who he was as it relates to you. But, I'm not, but at the same time, uh, he and Che Guevara, who you will probably go to Urban Outfitters to this day, and, and you will see uh, all kinds of folks with Che Guevara shirts on, and hats. You see how the the corporations romanticize all this stuff. I mean, that that's allowable. I mean, you know, you, you, we're getting we're even getting mixed messages. 
So I, I, I don't I, really disagree with you, but um, I guess what I'm saying is that, uh, yeah, he, 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 you can buy his image at Urban Outfitters, and this is a man that actually oversaw war tribunals and, and killed dissidents and firing squads, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, he, he's ready to, ready to, to hook up with Mandela. You know, it, it it's complicated. Go ahead. It's, it's like you know, it's like the it's like the drug dealer who sells drugs to his own own people, but then he donates to the Christmas Children's Fund or or whatever. It's it's the same. I, I wouldn't want that money personally. You know what I'm saying? I I understand that this country has not been has not always treated black people very well, but I. I can't visit that on people in Cuba who are suffering as well. I, I just, and again, I don't know that much. I, I admit ignorance in, in knowing the full spectrum of Castro, the pros and cons. But if there's any stories of him killing innocent people or uh, suppressing free expression or jailing people who express themselves, I can't. I just can't ride with that. Um, remind as much as we love President Barack Obama. They could give him the they could give him the murder trope also. There's no leader sure, that, there's no leader that's Santa Claus. I want you to know right now. If you decide to take power on some level Understood, in but any Obama's, major country Obama's not using Obama's not suppressing freedom of thought. That's the big difference. Yeah, but you, you tell that to you tell that to an Iraqi citizen who has nothing to do with ISIL and he loses his grandmother or his child in front of him because of drones sanctioned by the Obama administration, he's going to give you a different answer. That's a Mali, that's a Mali kid that went buck wild at Ohio State. He couldn't handle it. These people will give you some kind of answer to why America is a problem. And mind you, as a black person, you your forefathers were in tra- were in tra- uh, chains and whipped and all that, and your surname isn't the surname you're supposed to have or your religion. <laughs> and to this day, the Nazis are saying Zeke Isle to remind you what you are. I'm just saying, it's, it's a little complicated. It's a little complicated. Let's go. Let me go to another clip. Um, actually, you know, let's go to Roland Martin because he's kind of on the same theme on this. This is Roland Martin also unpacking Soledad O'Brien, who we've had on our on the show as well. Uh, she weighs in, so he has a a cavalcade of discussants talking about the passing of of Castro and this complicated this complicated viewpoint. Hold on. Folks, for a half century, Fidel Castro held a tight grip on Cuba, defying a CIA-backed invasion, numerous assassination attempts, a U.S. trade embargo, and economic collapse. As his health failed, Castro ceded power to his younger brother Raul in 2008. But for most Cubans in the world, until his death on Friday, Fidel Castro was the only leader the country ever knew in the past half decade. He came to power in 1959 after overthrowing the American-backed presidency of Fulgencio Batista, who ran an authoritarian government and was viewed by many as corrupt. After Castro aligned his country with the Soviet Union in 1961, President Kennedy ordered an ill-fated CIA-backed invasion of Cuba. The mission was called the Bay of Pigs, and Castro served up a humiliating defeat for the U.S. 
A year later, the U.S. and the Soviet Union played a game of nuclear brinkmanship in Cuba. The so-called Cuban Missile Crisis ended when the Soviets agreed to dismantle their nuclear weapons and remove them from Cuba. President Barack Obama traveled to Cuba this March, the first sitting president to do so in 88 years. In late 2014, he issued an executive order that normalized diplomatic relations with Cuba and eased travel and trade restrictions between the two countries. The president released this statement upon Castro's death. At this time of Fidel Castro's passing, we extend a hand of friendship to the Cuban people. History will record and judge the enormous impact of this singular figure on the people and world around him. During my presidency, we have worked hard to put the past behind us. We offer condolences to Fidel Castro's family, and our thoughts and prayers are with the Cuban people. Now, President-elect Donald Trump released a harsh statement calling Castro a brutal dictator and said his legacy will be one of firing squads, theft, and unimaginable suffering. In Little Havana, in Miami, Cuban Americans celebrated Fidel Castro's death. Many saw their families torn apart as the Castro took power and seized property and jailed dissidents. Millions also fled the country. It was an interesting reaction when you, when you look at African Americans. Fidel Castro was seen by many as a leader who was unafraid to stand up against racism in the U.S. and abroad. He fought against racial segregation in Cuba when he came to power. At the height of the civil rights movement in America, Castro met publicly with Malcolm X. He sent Cuban troops to Angola to fight against the apartheid government of South Africa at a time when the U.S. still supported it. And the list goes on and on. He also fought against apartheid in South Africa. So, so what do we make of these different complex views of Fidel Castro? We've got three guests who can break us down. Joining us via FaceTime from New York City, Soledad O'Brien, the CEO of Starfish Media Group, by telephone from Chicago, Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., founding president, Rainbow Push Coalition, and here in studio, Bill Fletcher Jr., writer and activist, um, also former leader of Trans-Africa. I want to go to um, Reverend Jackson, start with you first. Reverend, your statement you released uh, ticked off a lot of people. They said uh, it was tone deaf. Uh, and how could you uh, make those kind of comments about Fidel Castro? What was your relationship with Castro? How many times did you meet him? Uh, and how should we view his legacy? There were competing legacies about Fidel Castro. One is that his overthrow of Batista, uh, a corrupt dictator who had reduced black Cubans to commodities in that situation facing racial and class segregation. Uh, you don't see as many black Cubans in the streets as you see white Cubans in the streets, which was a part of the internal contradiction within that society. On the other hand, his thing against racial defiance in Harlem in 1959. That's six years before blacks had the right to vote. That's after 5,000 blacks in this country had been lynched without a single uh, indictment. Uh, his stand, uh, staying in the Teresa Hotel in New York when we could not stay in the Holiday Inn or the Marriott or the Hilton in this hotel. Latin American people on the occupation rejoiced. South Africans rejoiced. In the end, it was his military participation in Angola and Namibia to stop South African expansion. And that's why Mandela rejoiced and thanked him. So you have people who were displaced. Uh, understandably upset and angry. We must fight diligently for family reunification. But there are competing legacies, and there's a reason why people who were oppressed identify with this revolution. Uh, Soledad O'Brien, you're a mother, uh, Afro-Cuban. Uh, your perspective uh, as 
uh, as someone whose mother uh, had to uh, contend with uh, Cuba and Castro as a leader? Yeah, I think Reverend Jackson is right in a lot of ways. I think when Donald Trump describes Castro's only legacy as firing squads and suffering, that is very true, but it's not the full story. And so I think what uh, Jesse Jackson describes is also part of a complete story. Listen, my mother hated Batista, who she grew up under, and hated Castro and, and left Cuba just before uh, Castro came into power to go off to college. And I think she thought both of them really destroyed the country. But I think those who don't really fully study what Fidel Castro brought to Cuba, both the horrible things, he was a brutal dictator, and also some of the big things that he brought in terms of health care and literacy, those things are often talked about. And even trying to stamp out racial discrimination officially. Uh, I don't think he ever was able to do it. And I think if you look at Cuba today, a discrimination still exists. Um, but I think that those are conversations that make the understanding of Fidel Castro much more than a binary. He was evil. He was, he was great. I, I think he was evil. And there are all these other things that he accomplished that are part of his legacy. Now, there are plenty of people who don't want to talk about legacy. <laughs> they, they just want to say, here's what he did to my family. Uh, and, and those people I understand. I mean, you know, he, he, he killed a lot of people. He fled firing squads. And Raul Castro, in many ways, was even more, uh, I think, dangerous and, um, and killed a lot more people uh, than Fidel Castro. So I understand those who are not interested in the nuance of legacy, but I think politicians need to try to really understand, because otherwise you don't understand the different perspectives of the Cuban people. Afro-Cubans look at the death of Fidel Castro differently than, than white Cubans who are in Miami, than, than Cubans who are in New Jersey, than Cubans who are in New York City. So I think it's important to understand that part of his legacy. Bill Fletcher, it is a all right, it's pretty lengthy, but uh, I think Soledad kicked it. And again, she is uh, of part uh, Afro-Cuban extraction. Um, I, th you know, I, I, I have to look at it from a, from a, from a nuanced perspective. I'm going to go to a quick Yuletide groove, folks. Again, you're listening to the Midweek in Review edition of Af It's complicated. You know, uh, yeah, when, when you, Q, respectfully, when, when um, Q respectfully talks about this is like, uh, a drug dealer who um, toils in in making money from the degradation of his people and, and, and selling poison to his people, but then uh, Christmas time comes around and he's he's giving out turkeys. Uh, defer from that because what it's not exactly analogous because with with um, with some of the accomplishments that Castro was responsible for, they were quite substantial. It's a little different to lend support to Angola <laughs> and to, to, to come to Harlem and, and to lend support to, to Malcolm X and talking about uh, black folks in positive terms and talking about freedom and, 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 and uh, equality before, at the, before, years before even George Wallace. Again, I, I, I got to put this out there as, as to what, where black people – this is not Afro-nerd and Captain Kirk being very leisurely uh, discussing uh, politics in a digital age. This wasn't what, where black people were at in 1959. In, in 1963, you still had fire hoses. See, this predates – Castro talking this way predates where black people were. In 63, you had Bull Connor. 
German Shepherds, um, fire hoses. You had uh, the governor of Alabama, George Wallace, who talked about, um, you know, he was a, he was a he was a Dixiecrat. Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. That was his mantra. He stood in front of the entrance of uh, University of Alabama, preventing the enrollment of black students. That was in the 60s. So, I mean, this is where you were, black man, when Castro was kind of talking that ish. So I, I got to acknowledge that. That's not to me. It's a little bit more substantial than than, than turkeys being handed out, and you know, for for Christmas. I'm just saying. Anyway, let's go to a Yuletide groove. We'll go on to something else. Still got a little bit less than an hour. More information, more discourse, more enlightenment. We're just giving you the facts. And, and I and I say, you know, what said that? You know, I'm a, I'm Mr. Nuance. Shout out, shout out to. Uh, to Claire Lene, we both see things kind of from a nuanced perspective. All right. In honor of the late Sharon Jones, another one who left the building, this is Ain't No Chimneys in the Projects. <laughs> Christmas Jam. We'll be right back. Give me about two minutes. Let's groove. Okay, we're back. 
Ain't No Chimneys in the Projects, the late Sharon Jones. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afronaut featuring Captain Kirk. Um, Cap, quickly, I'm just kind of throwing it out there because it's in my head. Have you been keeping up? And we'll talk about this, obviously, more in depth on Saturday. Did you happen to see uh, Supergirl? <laughs> I'm going from Castro to Supergirl. Uh, Supergirl uh, and The Flash with this four-part DCCW crossover. Yeah, I saw it. Of course. <laughs> what are your thoughts, man? I have to admit, I really enjoyed it. Uh, well, my perspective might be a little bit different. I thought it was all right. <laughs> that's that's what I thought it this year. I thought it was all right. I just thought it was all right. You know, nothing to hate on. You know, nothing to dismantle. Just thought it was okay. You know, maybe at this juncture in time, I'm expecting too much. I don't know. I just thought it was okay. Yeah. Uh... I don't know. You know, listen. I, I, I'm so. I'm pretty sure. I would like to hear what Daryl thinks about it. And well, we, we'll find out on Saturday. I know there was a little bit of hokum involved, a little bit of hokum, but the the see, the see that exchange. I mean, listen. At the very least, at the very least, I'm probably going to get some weird looks. I think it's a, better than what we've seen on the big screen. <laughs> Somehow, all the difficulty that the WB has with higher salaried actors that may be of a certain skill set, somehow they can't seem to figure this out. So, And you could see there was also that little nod to the Civil War, you know, at, at, an, at a hangar. You know, it's, it's all, you know, it's, the heroes fighting the way they did gave me that impression. And then also you could see they were also p- putting out a nod there to the Hall of Justice. That the physical look, they made it seem that, you know, there's this, this, this property that's hanging around courtesy of Star Labs. And it looks a whole lot like the Hall of Justice. So I thought that was kind of cool. So um, let, me, let me bring um, our friend Q Storm on this. I'm pretty sure. I, I think, I think he, he, he doesn't like it. But I, I just thought it was – I had fun. I'll be honest with you. I had fun. Yeah, what were your thoughts? We'll get into this deep, more deeply. But let's, well, you know, let's kind of lighten things up a little bit after Castro. Uh, this is not going to lighten things up, I promise you. Ah. <laughs> Listen, I, I don't know the – I'm a stickler for the source material, so I, I don't know much about Flash, Supergirl, any of these characters. I will say this. This, uh, this crossover this far – they brought in every cliche, every trope that we've seen so many times. Mind control? Ah, the Avengers. We started in Avengers, but we got mind control here, too. We even had mind control in the, in the last season of Supergirl. But we got mind control again. Whenever you don't have a good script, let's throw in some mind control. That gives you at least 20 minutes you can kill. Uh, aliens. <clears throat> aliens, Really? How many times have we seen aliens in the last two, three years in pop culture? That's and then they, they disappear out of nowhere. No build up to them whatsoever. They just uh, they disappear. And now Barry runs all over the place. He gathers all these heroes around, and they're going to do. Um, they're going to train against the aliens again by using Supergirl as an example, just because she's an alien. We don't know what her power set is, 
let's just train against her. Use her as a, it's ridiculous. I mean, the writing's got to be better than this. The plotting's got to be better. I want to watch it. If it's wearing a cape, I want to watch it. But the writing's <laughs> got to be better. They're better than this. It's like they, they come to CW, and like I said on Twitter, if you're a superhero in the CW universe, all your friends get powers around you. They all get powers. They all get to know who you are, too. So that, that's my take. <laughs> I like the last part, what you said. <laughs> that was good, Q, the last part. <laughs> I mean, uh, Bar- Barry, uh, was it, uh, Wally West. I want some powers. I want some. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> then we'll go talk to the producers. We'll take care of that. Cool. Can I get a suit now? <laughs> But but listen, there is a kid flash though. You're, you're, you're acting like I know there's a kid. I know there's a kid flash. I know there's a kid flash. Like I said, I don't know the source material that well. But if this is how it was executed in the books, I'm not going to be reading those books anytime soon. And I, you know, listen, you're not going to you're not going to want to hear this also. But um, for the Justice League that come that's coming out, there's going to be another invasion. <laughs> I mean. That invasion is going to take place, and as you can tell by the trailer, it's Batman that goes around to get his friends to fight this. This. this, this but isn't that um, that that's uh, the dark uh, the dark side guy? Uh, what's his name? Steppenwolf. Yeah, but it's still uh, wasn't Steppenwolf. It's, well, uh, not that come on, with That's different than aliens from another planet. I mean, it's that's that's a little different. I, I listen. I'm not cupcaking. I'm not cupcaking for. For anything that Sound Zack man. Snyder directs, <laughs> I'm just saying I mark I, I I make a distinction between aliens from outer space and the the uh, dark side dimension. Yeah, you know. yeah, extra extra dimensional creatures <laughs> that might as well be aliens. Listen, we we're not accepting aliens from from the southern region of, of the Americas. Shout out to Donald Trump and his his wa- gate. I mean wall. So. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, to me, I, I think extra-dimensional beings still kind of count. And we saw the parademon, the division, this mysterious vision that came out of nowhere that Batman was having in Batman versus Superman. But, I mean, listen, I just want to throw that out there. Um, uh, you know, listen, after this broadcast, I'm going to check out Arrow. So it is what it is. They, they, have, me, they have me hooked. I, just, I will just say that the, the nerds have inherited the Earth. Who would figure that? Just about every day, there's something out there that, that's of, of geek, geek uh, origin. Uh, also, I tweeted, tweeted out something that I thought was uh, – maybe I, saw, I just noticed this. With Westworld, a conversation between Sandy Newton's character, Maeve, and Bernard, the Jeffrey Wright character, where she's – this is not a – I mean, if it's a spoiler to some, some, some folks – it sucks to be you. I'm going to, I'm going to have to reference the great Daryl B. This is from last week, uh, the penultimate episode. The, she enlightened him that, you know, you know you are, a, you are an android, but I'm thinking in my head, you know you are a slave. These two black folks having this private conversation in this super scientific world where these AIs are gaining consciousness, there's something about the two black droids having that conversation that I said, hmm, this is high-level slavery. <laughs> There's something about that. I don't know if that was the intent of the writers. I can't believe that was coincidental, that the two black leads had this conversation about, do you know who you are? And, you know, 
do you like how you let me? It was a discussion about freedom, pretty much so. I thought that was fascinating. I really, really dig Westworld. I'm just throwing it out, throwing that out there. What happens? I don't want to talk about what happened at the close of that particular episode, uh, but going into the last episode, uh, I think it's a 90 minute, 90 minute um, season finale. I'm very wow. Intrigued. They're on the season finale already. Only ten episodes. Wow! I see. I and, just watched the first one last night. Oh, you just saw the first one. I tried to watch it when it first came out. I fell asleep three times. I was like, I'm giving up. But Listen, everyone's I, I talking about it, so I'm, I'm giving I another shot. It. Power through. You power through because it just. I mean, I did the same thing, but I couldn't. I think a disrobed Sandy Newton woke me up. I will confess. <laughs> that keeps me that for some reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but her walking around that comfortably and being British, it, it, it keeps me awake. That's when I woke well, up. You, you can see you, you can see that in the last uh, act of uh, the Love It, the movie. She's fully naked in that. Which one is that now? The, the Oprah Winfrey movie that came out about what twenty years ago, uh, Beloved. Oh, belo- oh, Beloved. Oh, Beloved. Uh, and a lot I might have to check in that. there too. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> I will make I, I I will make a reprieve on some of my stances. I I, I so far the preservation is, is is there for my purposes. Anyway, this dude here. <laughs> let me, let me this dude here. <laughs> All right. I like what I saw. Enough said. Anyway. Um, this 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 disturbs me. This next story, Cap. And every time I'm going to keep you, I'm going to keep you uh, 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 in the queue. Queue. <laughs> I, I, I want to get your impressions on this. We may disagree, but something about this story. Actually, this story is somewhat dated. I think it, it's circulating circulating around. Um, this goes back to 2014, but I, it, it came up again on Twitter for me. So I thought this was just a new study, uh, but it seems to be still kind of out there. And this is from The Roots, but I've seen it at other places. I guess it's based on this Princeton study that says that gay black men's salaries are on par with straight white men. So gay, gay cats, gay black brothers uh, in the workspace uh, do quite well. And the, the, the theory that I've had I knew, it was, I knew it wasn't really a theory, but this to me has, has made it very clear. If it could be, if it, it's it's so crystal clear. The the, the whole thing. I, I was always I was always told and taught that there was there was an issue with with black men in the corporate sector that you're not really wanted there, and you, you're perceived as a threat. And that, there's, that, that it's problematic sometimes when you are a black male in, in, in those spaces. But somehow, gay black males thrive in these spaces, as do black women. That they don't have problems, but at the same time, it seems to be less so. So if there was any evidence, any evidence that black men, straight black men, uh, that that there that there's issues with with us in these corporate centers. 
because of a because of a perceived threat. There is no threat, at least perception wise, with the gay cats. And they're making money. As much allegedly as straight white dudes. Something about that uh is a problem. It 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 it, it it goes back to my premise about – I'm going to pass up, have, open up the mic and pass it around. But it goes back to this current forthcoming administration, how it is, it is very blatant that b- black men, whatever you know, persuasion you may be, but I'm saying – I'm speaking for, for the persuasion I know, straight cats, <laughs> for the straight Jim Brown – I keep referencing that. You know, I'm going to go there. The, the Jim Brown – Fred Williamson, Kelly crew. Uh, we're going to have to go on our own. And maybe it should be that. The infrastructure has to be done. Uh, if there's, if, if there's, if there's, no help is coming for you. And you're, you're, you're downright, you'll get respected if you bend over. <laughs> I hate to be blunt. <laughs> So therefore, I'm never going to be respected. Q, what are your thoughts about this? Isn't this isn't this a problem? This this can't be coincidence. I just have I just have one thing to say to that. Hey, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You know I'm joking. Be careful, Q. I'm joking. Jokes, people. Right. Jokes. That's a bad one. Good. Man. Man, just go see Moonlight. Everything will be all right. It'll be, you'll survive. Just go see Moonlight. You'll survive. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of this story. I, I don't know that it's true. Uh, I don't know why gay men would be preferred over straight men uh, in, in terms of pay. Seems like any corporation would want to try to stick it to – well, that's the wrong phrase. Seems like any corporation yeah, would want to screw – I'm sorry. That's wrong. I'm sorry. No. There you go. <laughs> I feel like any corporation would want to cheat as many people as they can, regardless of uh, sexual identification. So I, I don't know what to say to that. Can I put my two cents in? Certainly. So I was. Hold on. I know that smell anyway. Frustration and cocoa butter. Looks like we got us negro amongst us. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I was told years ago. Butter. I was told years ago, probably about sixteen years ago, by several black women, and they they said to me, "Look, America is not really for the black man." I'm like, "Yeah, how you figure?" She said, "One of them said, so she said, one of them said to me, trust me, I see how they do black men that are stout.'" I said, well, you know, stout. She's referring to my build at the given time. I said, how do they do, black men, that are stout? <laughs> I said, how do they do? They say, yeah, you know, 50 grand. Once you get to 60 grand, they start messing with you, you know, when you really should be making 85 or 90. They just start messing with you. And then the women come along, they pay them money, and they'll, they shouldn't talk about the gay thing. She did say, she talked about them elevating the women, the black women. She didn't talk about the gay thing. 
So, yeah, right around, you know, you hit 50, you're moving up, you get to about 60, and then, boom, they start messing with you. And you're like, why are you not getting any more money? Why are you not getting any more money? Now, this is 16 years ago. I don't know what this would be now, what the numbers would be now. Maybe it's 70 grand now, you know, maybe. Maybe it's 65, I don't know. But I was told that. They didn't talk about the gay thing, but pertaining to men, more or less, that walk around, that stick their chest out. You know, they got a little size on them. They look like, you know, they know what's going on. So they mess with them. So they don't mess with the black woman like that. You know, the black woman smiles. You know, she, she'll move up before them. She's not going to move up like the white woman or the white male, <laughs> but she'll do better than you. I was told that. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I was just told that. That's my two cents. You know, back to you, Afro-Nerd. I'm going to read this 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 quickly because um, I find it fascinating just to kind of put this in um, more of a, of a contextual perspective. Uh, and I and I you know before I even read it, I'm thinking about the the difference between Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, pardon me, and President Elect Donald Trump. That Donald Trump is allowed to be that alpha male, that uh, orange-hued John Wayne. He can he can grab his genitals. And, and, and blatantly say anything, and it is, it is acceptable, pardon me, it is acceptable and not really scrutinized to the degree, in my estimation, that was, uh, that was the experience for President Barack Obama. He's a, a far more erudite, pensive, professorial, and uh, he's not allowed to conduct himself the way that uh, – that Donald Trump has been allowed to conduct himself. You're not allowed to, to, to see. I would like to see an alpha black male in some of these spaces. Even these football players, you see Cam Newton with these midriffs. All, all, I mean, the football is supposed to be the place where, they, where they, they, you really don't have this kind of murkiness when it comes down to traditional masculinity. And I'm not even seeing white football players conduct themselves this way. I know that your, your uh, predecessor... Iron Man sends me text messages every day with pictures of weirdos, weirdos from, from, from basketball and football where, you know, we didn't see these. these I mean, I, again, the Bill Russells, I keep on going. I have to go back. I, I guess, okay, let me not go that far back. Let's go back to at least um, in Michael Jordan. Those cats in the 80s and early 90s, I didn't see what we see now. So I, I think there's, there's something going on that t- traditional white male alphas, still, there's still a place for them. And I, and I see that we, we seem not to be able to have that for black men. So I'm going to read this from the, the root, and then we'll move along. Um, it says, uh, all, of which, all of which make results of new research published by Princeton sociologists David Padula, so surprising. He conducted a resume test among hundreds of employers supplying some resumes with names more likely to be stereotyped as those of white applicants and others with names more likely to be identified as those of black applicants. On some resumes, Padula indicated that the applicant had participated in a gay student advisory council. Among all the fictional applicants, the one with the name that sounded like a black male, Darnell, who participated in the Gay Student Advisory Council, was more likely to be considered for the same starting salary as that of a heterosexual white male. 
those presumed to be white and gay and those presumed to be black and heterosexual were considered for lower salaries. So what does it all mean? Well, for starters, it means that our country has evolved, but also that it hasn't in many ways. It's great to know that gay black men have found a place of acceptance in the world, particularly in the working world, something that would have been hard to imagine a generation ago. But the potential underlying reason that they, have, they may have found that place is troubling nonetheless. Padula says there is some evidence that gay black men are perceived as less threatening than straight black men and that this difference accounts for a piece of a salary recommendation difference between the two groups. I didn't need to read that sentence to see that coming. All right. Um, Can I add something? I in, don't know. Sir? Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. We 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 probably need. So you got to be careful sometimes also with these quote unquote studies. You know, now that we got all this fake news running around, <laughs> we need some empirical evidence also backing this up too. You know, we know about the women thing because they were saying that for a long time. We know, and some of us probably experienced that a little bit, a little bit. But you know, I don't, I don't. You know, I don't have enough experience with this from the empirical standpoint. We need to get some empirical data. We need something from callers calling in if they know this to be true or something. We got to add to it. Add to the book, man. Give me something. Back to you, Afro. Let me, let me, read, let me read this one part right here, and then I'm going to pick up. We have more callers. Uh, fear of the sexual power and prowess of black men has been at the root of the most horrifying acts of racial violence against black Americans from the lynching epidemic of the early 20th century to the torture of young Emmett Till for supposedly flirting with a white woman in 1955. In previous interviews with The Root, Mark Potok, one of the country's leading experts on hate groups, described an unhealthy obsession among many hate group leaders with interracial sex. Uh, Let's see. Hold on. Um, Specifically, the idea of black men defiling white women uh well listen if you got these gay dudes coming through i guess they don't have to worry about that i guess they don't have to worry about that but that there might be some some suspect in that too nothing is guaranteed but this weird obsession taking it to the to the to the workplace i don't know i just have a problem with um with money's being affected because of this this Perception of threat of what's considered threatening. I don't it's, know. It's, that that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Even though this is a different study, you know, there's other studies out saying that you know black men make more money than black women. Yeah, you got those studies out. You know, we that do we have empirical evidence backing that up? I would say yes. I would say yes in respect to that, from what I've seen. You know, even though that's something entirely different. I need more empirical evidence, man. You know, you got to be careful Listen, with these studies. <laughs> these people, these people fear my power, Captain. This is evidence. <laughs> that's what that, that's, that's the deal. I've experienced it. I've experienced it. I've gotten looks by saying hello to certain okay. lighter, lighter-hued women okay. in some of these spaces. I could tell you right now, my pro security, okay. they fe- fear my power. Okay. Let me go to the... <laughs> Let me hold on. Swing your best up. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of of the lovely. See, I don't, I don't want to stand these cats. I, I I'm thinking of the lovely Fanny Newton right now. I'm sorry. Okay. Darkness, everybody. Darkness. Darkness is spreading. 
You were funny guy right. tonight. Let's get to the caller. <laughs> For the DMV, I think this is, this is uh, Bison. HBCU. Yes, it is. Graduate. How are you gentlemen doing? Doing very well, sir. How are you doing? I, I'm great. I see you on another captain's yes. tag along. So, you know, life is as it should be, I guess. Um, a couple of things. Um, first, um, with the, the, the first, excuse me, let me do this. With the first story in regards to pay, I mean, I'm not so sure about that study and the sample because a lot of, you know, from what I've read and, you know, some people I know, a lot of men are still in the closet at their jobs for fear of coming out and backlash they may endure. So it is what it is. I mean, I'm not going to argue the findings or anything with it. It just seems like every time there's a, uh, some type of study release, you know, we're at the losing end in, in all regards. So that's neither here nor there. But I want to um, jump on something you spoke of earlier in regards to alpha males. Um, I was an officer in the Army. In the military, that's, that's the breeding ground of alpha white males and alpha black males. You said you want to hear of an alpha black male. I'll give you one. Remember Lieutenant General Honore during the Katrina um, floods? He was mm-hmm. the um, retired general who they would bring in, and he kind of led the recovery efforts of um, from New Orleans. Yeah, okay. Um, I kind of remember I thought, that. I thought he was pretty much alpha male. I'm going to give you another one. I think he's a he's a buffoon, but Sheriff Clark in Milwaukee, he's one. Yeah, sir. yeah. Well, you you, you want security. any examples, D-Rail? Homeland Security coming through. <laughs> yeah, I don't he's think being, that's going to happen. He's we'll being talked for that. Yeah, but um, hey, Sarah Palin was going to be head of the Interior Department. Now they're saying she may run VA, but you know, veterans they're going to push back on that hard. Um, so she but they get that. She had, a, she had a penchant for the darkness in college too. I'm just, I'm just only, you know. Darkness, everybody. Darkness, you sure, you sure stop in college? But anyway, um, but the the military spaces where you see a lot of alpha males, especially I was dealing with special forces and and green berets and that's and that ilk. So you see a lot of that there because they're basically professional warriors. So you're going to see alpha males there. And it's still in society, and it's still in on television, and it's still, I mean, you know, you're looking for the, the Jim Brown, Fred Williamson model, but there are some other models out there. I mean, Fred Williamson and Jim Brown, you know, they was doing their thing on, in the movies, but Jim Brown's throwing women off of balconies. So, you know, like he didn't know where to that's- turn off his personality. <laughs> And that's and that's true. I mean, that was, that's nothing. I met him, shook his hand. You know, one that was one of my bucket list things to meet somebody to meet Jim Brown. But he he had, he had a um, he had an anger issue problem, especially when it came to women. But he was an alpha male. Um, sports they can't. I mean, they can do it to a degree. A lot of them because of the um, being on the field and a gladiator persona. But you know, there's a lot of Drugs involved too that has that plays a excuse me that plays a part especially steroids steroids are still big in football so that's where you see a lot of anger aggression 
um, displaying itself. But I want to be careful. I do want to just tag on one more thing in regards to Cuba. And sure, sure. I mean, I, I knew a lot about it, but I mean, I, I didn't get on the internet and you know pontificate about it. Because I think sometimes we as Black Americans, sometimes we look in this narrow view. We think our story should be everybody's story, and everybody has different stories. I mean, we came on different, you know, the same old trope. You know, different you know slave ships with different ports, but I think sometimes we don't listen to the other person, and we always talk before. That's why a lot of people from the diaspora look at us like you know we a we don't know our history or b you know we lost our minds, you know because they know more about us than we know about them. I mean, if you ask the average American African American about the quadrooms and mulrooms and in Jamaica and Haiti, they don't know what the hell you're talking about. But people who grew up in Jamaica and Haiti did, and plus they knew about Nat Turner. So what I mean, we need to read and learn about other people's history, and the same when it comes to Cuba, because at the end of the day, you know, these are white Cubans celebrating. I don't see black Cubans celebrating um, Castro's death. So that tells you something right there. Well, you know, listen, that's, that's what we basically said at the time of the show. We had said exactly what you said, that, that it is a complicated issue. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, sometimes I'm not comfortable. I mean, it's, it's hard because I'm, not, I'm also not comfortable with black folks, uh, many blacks, always aligning ourselves with um, ne'er-do-wells. You know, when Gaddafi was taken out, there's a fair share of black folks that would also – uh, align themselves with Gaddafi, you know, telling telling the world that uh, he was a great person, and there's a lot of evidence that you know, listen, this guy was a terrible, he was he was he was a uh, a despot as well. Um, I thought that for the in the sake for the sake of Castro, with with Castro being far more uh, far more outright. And forthcoming about black folks needing to be treated equally, and not and being comfortable with black people, and also and also acknowledging uh, the racism uh, during the Batista regime and how legally he dismantled it. There's still to this day there's still racial issues in Cuba, but like you said, uh, the, the, the the in Little Havana, the white Cubans that that came from a from a propertyed from money and from wealth and property, some of them, or many of them, not all, but many of them, they're going to ha- they're they're going to have a different perspective. They're not really they're being silent about the Afro Cubans. So I mean, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. And, and listen, I I, I uh, I'm always remembering that even um, uh, we he, I share his name namesake Desi Arnaz, Desi Arnaz. Uh, the, the spouse of Lucy Arnaz, that you know, during the during I Love Lucy, he was Cuban for most of the airing. But when the stuff went down with Castro, all of a sudden, I, if I remember correctly, I think they changed his ethnicity. Like the the the, the last two seasons, he was Mexican. I have to confirm that. But I, if that's true, I think it is. It goes to show you how deep the PR war 
that this man couldn't even couldn't even be his ethnicity because of of, of what was going on with with um, with Castro. And again, uh, at the top of the show, I mentioned that you know during the Batista regime, the mafia, the American mafia, was bankrolling the Batista regime, multinational corporations. Uh, well, you know why. Were, were, well, yeah, but listen, you had drugs, you had prostitution, you that had... That was Vegas. Um, Cuba was Vegas before Vegas. And gambling. I, I want mean, to end was, with it this. Was playground, that, it was the playground yeah, for the wealthy right. at that at that point. But I'm, go ahead, go ahead, uh, Q. I mean, Q. I'm going to um, say something that's probably going to bring a smile to Cap's face. And one thing I've noticed, when you look throughout American history, black American history, especially in the 20th century, when you have figures who espouse Pan-Africanism, a lot of them have one thing in common. Um, um, Marcus Garvey, Stokely Carmichael, they all had a Caribbean background or heritage in some sort of way. I always wondered about that. And toward the end, someone sold them out. I'm not going to go into no history lesson. You guys know that. That's just something I want to put out. And I just wonder... You know, you look at Castro, and I guess there's a history because in the Caribbean there's a history of struggle. There's a history of, of fighting back, to fighting the oppressors and overthrowing them in some way. And I just think that as African Americans, one, we don't know our history unless we dig deep. But I just noticed that, you know, children of the Caribbean – are more apt to push for a Pan-Africanist view or uh, freedom for the black masses. I'm not saying more so than African-Americans, but I just noticed that a lot of the um, leaders have come from the Caribbean. I've always wondered why that is. Well, W.E.B. Du Bois also was a major league Pan-Africanist as well towards the later years. Um, you know, ending up in Ghana at some point toward no, during I know, his, I during know, his I know. advanced I, I age. Just, you know. I, mean, I mean, he was a major league proponent. Anyway, um, Cap, you, you have any? I have an. I have a, a, an idea. I have my own thoughts, but uh, let's speak to the Carib Carib Indian on the. Uh, I like saying that Carib Indian on our on our panel. His thoughts about where this strain of of revolutionary thought and action comes from from the Caribbean islands. Well, I can't Why speak on all the well. Well, I can't speak on all, you know, the Caribbean islands. But you know, when you're dealing with Jamaica, you can essentially say what you had the maroon people. You know, they were who were very powerful warriors, and some of that is still embedded. Some don't, don't get it twisted. Some of that's still embedded in the Jamaican people. So a lot of times when you're dealing with blood, some things you can't get away from. And if you notice, anyone who's been around Jamaican people, they have a warrior-like spirit, and they also at times can be very arrogant. And they have to check their arrogance in order to deal with the general, you know, multicultural society that we have here in America. So, and, that, and that's true. That's true in respect with us. We like to take over stuff, you understand? So you get a certain amount of drive and determination, and you have to check it at the door because at times you will self-destruct. I can't speak on the whole Caribbean, though. I can speak on the Jamaican people with that aspect. 
as my mother would say, some things you can't get away from because it's in the blood. It's in the blood. Back over to you, Afrolet. I, I can give you my my opinion for for, for my studies. One thing that that was um, put out there as a theory, uh, and again, uh, Cap is correct that you know we may be speaking more specifically about you know uh, let's say Haiti, obviously because of the Haitian Revolution or J- Jamaica. But if you're going to take the the um, the the Caribbean in general, some some of this. Um, some of this need to to be more radicalized and to be more more pan-Africanist and more forthcoming. I think some of it was that when you look at the the, the triangular slave trade, uh, not only did you have different European powers colonizing these regions, but you also had different styles of colonization. When you think about the, the Caribbean islands, many of the slave owners were absentee slave owners. They weren't really there to the same degree, I mean physically there to the same degree as the slaveholders in the Americas, in the, in the North America. That uh, North America was, had a, was a peculiar institution that you're talking about uh, more entrenched, a more entrenched sense of Stockholm Syndrome. Not that, not that not, all of us have it, from the experience, some degree of it, but more intensified in North America. Dealing with the Caribbean islands, these guys weren't around all the time. So uh, uh, you, you had a certain level of autonomy, autonomous thinking, because the slaveholder physically was not there. So that's, that's one aspect. And in, in Britain, the style in Britain was, well, first of all, we know that they abolished slavery earlier than North America. But also, at some point, and I think I might have mentioned this on the show one time, at some point, it's very, it's very fascinating that the slavery that, that took place in England at some point, they treated the slaves more ornamental. Um, they, they were dressed in a certain way, Dressed a little, dressed in a, kind of in a refined way, because if you if your slave looks good, it also it, it it's reflective on the on the on the slaveholder. So they were more like a like a pet or a plaything. You know, you were shined up and 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 wearing idolatrous clothing. So it was it was weird in Britain versus North America versus the Caribbean islands. But I say that 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 strain of of revolution from the Caribbean islands, I think has a lot to do, and you can look this up. Absentee slaveholders. Some of that has a, has something to do with that. That's just my my what I what I was told when I was studying it. Um, let's move things forward a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about this Soul Train Awards briefly, and I mean real brief. I didn't see it on the day. I think it was Sunday, Captain, and I ended up looking at it later on online and I scanned it and I have to say I was sad <laughs> I'm always sad when I see current music I, although some of the some of the songs I heard we have played so some of the the more um alternative music that we try to promote here at Afro Nerd I heard some 
some shadows of it. Maybe that's because, you know, someone like um, Erica Badu, she was hosting it. And I actually, I actually like the cipher. They have, you know, we know the lyricist cipher that they have during the BET Awards that deals with, with uh, hip-hop. But they, now they have also have a, a singing version or more of a, well, you know, a singing version of it. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. But I just, I just felt like, wow, you know, and I even spoke, I even spoke to Iron Man about this. That when Prince left the left the planet, I think maybe um, maybe Q Storm would agree. You see what you you have to see what you're really working what you're really working with talent wise. Without that guy, everybody else, man, you start to see just how lame some of these artists are. Uh, I liked Eric Eric Benet. I will confess. I think um, he's singing the best he's ever sung. In a long time, I like what he what he's doing. But of course, the, the the regular minstrels were in full effect, and the talent just don't have it. And that that representation, not having that representation, is very problematic for me. I don't know what to think when I'm looking at these people, what what they're bringing to the table. And I'm not saying this because oh well, you know, I'm stuck in the '90s or whatever. Um, no, this is um. Talent is talent, and, and I don't see the performance, the, the art of the performance. It's just completely gone. I don't know what we're doing. I, just, I was just sad that I, I don't see you know, people who can really sing. Um, who else is there? Uh, Anderson, Anderson Pack, who I played a lot. I like what he does, but you know, it's rife with N-words. Uh, we seem not to be able to extricate ourselves from being called nigger, nigga, over and over again. It's it's the black man's Tourette's. How much more powerful would our lyrics be if we could say brother? I even mentioned this at one point, Cap, when I talked about the Chet, Chet um, uh, Hanks, Tom Hanks' son, when he was when he was a wannabe rapper, and he he said that he felt that that he had the right to say nigga. Because he's part of the hip hop community, and he he wanted to he was trying to connect to the black man through this nigga n i g g a, and I'm thinking, what would that, what would happen if 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 you were if you were trying to connect on a brother tip? How much more powerful would it be if you said you are my brother, or would you even want? And, and actually, would you even want to get down like that? If if the prospect of commu- communing and connecting. And, and, and politicking, blah, 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 as they say, quote-unquote, on the street. The prospect, if the prospect of that dealt with you being my brother versus being my nigga, black or white, how much more powerful would that be? I'm just wondering. And would, you, and would, the, would the power of your lyrics, would the power of your lyrics change? Would, would it be that much more harmful to say brother versus nigga? Can we ever can we ever reverse reverse engineer that? That's it for me. I'm just I'm I'm, I'm saying it rhetorically, but I'm wondering even to Q, man, do you think we could ever get back to the point where we can we can kind of say but where every song now, even when the song even when the song is quite good, even when the song is quite good, we do have, and I'm not against the the N word in art. If there's some power and some reasoning, some some reasoning behind it, you know the political songs from the soul, from the soul era, 
used the word, but you knew why they were using it. It was clearly political. It wasn't it wasn't bandied about the way that the way that it is now. Well, I would just say if you if you are watching Insecure on HBO and how that's trending not, since the finale, yeah, right. that, that word's not going anywhere anytime soon. Because <laughs> wow. I thought that was going to be a progressive show in terms of you know how how black life is depicted in terms of that word, but nah. Every other word, every other word is the N word on that show. Uh, so I don't think that's going to go anywhere real, real anytime soon. But I was going to tell you there still is hope, uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I did not like this artist. I thought he was just a wedding song artist. But um, I don't know if you heard that new Bruno Mars album, but that is tight. He he's bringing the funk back. He he might be the next Prince. I don't know. Maybe that's too strong to say. But he he plays instruments. He sings. He writes. He composes. Um, and arranges, and that album is, you got to check that album out. Uh, I'm aware of it. I will check it out. Uh, I'll say this much. I'm I'm a little bit more in tune, even though they're saying their fair share of the N-word as well, um, but they're local heroes. Uh, I, I even was able to drive by their uh, monument or their, their mural, pardon me, their mural recently, and I'll try to take pictures of it. Uh, there's a mural at, at the famed nuclear cleaners of the video Check the Rhyme and Tribe Called Quest. They, ha- they have the low-end theory, a low-end theory homage on the side of the building. And also um, the street, Linden Boulevard, has been renamed, or at least a portion of the street has been re- renamed Tribe Called Quest Way. So um, it, the new Tribe Called Quest album is spectacular. I mean, it's very layered. Uh, there's there's some, some meaningful lyrics uh, I'm, I'm hearing some radio airplay, but again, I, I'm confused with a song. Because uh, even um, there's a cat I can't remember his name, but he reviews he reviews um, records, music, uh, and he and he's very good at it. I can't remember the guy's name, and he was reviewing this this new Tribe Called Quest album, and I thought it was pretty interesting that he, that he was able to say that you know they really haven't changed that much. But they just updated their sound, and their lyrics still. It's not like they they don't sound dated. They just updated what they were always doing. It it sounds like it, it's it's a it's a song a, a it's a an album that sounds 1991 as it does 2017. So I'm I'm very I'm very proud of of that accomplishment. So I'm kind of grooving to Tribe Called Quest. And by connection, De La Soul's album is quite tight also. So the, the maturing hip-hop crews, some of them are actually producing stellar, stellar, um, stellar art. Uh, they just have to be exposed. You know, th- to say t- Tribe Called Quest can't get exposed, you know, it's, it's amazing. So um, I, don't, I, I don't know. But I, I, w- I would just end, end on it that I was disappointed with the Soul, Soul Train Awards. I'm, I'm just... I'm out of it. One other thing. Uh, oh yeah, a couple of things. Um, well, you know what? We have we have six minutes remaining. Let me see if I can play another clip. If I was, was I able to get that clip? Uh, oh yeah. Well, I mean, this has been a theme since Donald Trump's election, since his winning of this election. This this rise, this this uptick in racial animus. You have the young woman. 
where was this? Was that a Target? I forgot. It was some some Chicago store where she just had a she just flipped out on two black employees, and she's talking about talking about Trump. You know, she she was charged like a dollar. I think they're charging a dollar for 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 shopping bags. So she flipped and didn't believe in that. So therefore, paying for a shopping bag connects to I'm white and Trump is my Trump is Trump won. Similarly, this man was on a on a flight, and he was he's been banned for life, and he rants about Trump. And it's, it's a there's a myriad of stories of people who can't comport themselves because they, they, this this. If there's ever evidence of white of white skin color privilege, this is it. So you know, but I, I again, I, I guess I, I I'm taking that Dave Chappelle, and that, and that um, Chris Rock attitude of being somewhat you know we've been here before and we've got to be more we've got to be better prepared because I, I'm I'm not going back to 1959. That's not going to happen. Uh, hold on, let me play. Uh, I think I got two minutes of this. This is uh, a YouTube news report that's encapsulating this whole notion of an uptick in racism or racial events post Trump. Hold on. Swastikas, homophobic insults, graffiti daubed on a church in the U.S. state of Indiana. This is one of more than 400 hate crimes recorded in the United States since the election of Donald Trump. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, this type of racist and bigoted harassment and intimidation directed towards people from minorities have been rising sharply in the last week. What we're seeing is that the bulk of these crimes uh, are aimed at immigrants uh, and Muslims. Uh, There are also very many anti-black hate crimes. Social media sites have been plagued by hate. Many victims and witnesses have posted details. Some children have even been targeted. Often the aggressors have been other children. This father's child was bullied by classmates. They started saying, well, you're Mexican, and so you are going to go to a different school now, and you're going back to Mexico. The Southern Poverty Law Center monitors hate groups and other extremists. It has called on Donald Trump to reject hate and bigotry and distance himself from the haters. We have a terrible president who happens to be African-American. There has never been a greater division just about than what we have right now. Trump distanced himself from the extreme right-wing groups who had praised him for questioning President Obama's nationality and religious denomination. On U.S. election night, former Grand Wizard for the Ku Klux Klan, David Duke, posted this tweet after Trump's victory was announced. This is one of the most exciting nights of my life, it says. In a televised interview with U.S. network CBS, five days after his election, Donald Trump distanced himself from the hate crimes he was accused of inciting. I'm so saddened to hear that, and I say, stop it. If it helps, I will say this, and I will say it right to the camera. Stop it. Two minutes remaining. I see we have one call coming in at the last minute, so let's take this one call, and then we're at the close shop. 314. Welcome to the midweek. Tell us who you, who you, you are doing? and where you're calling from. What's up? Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. 
I'm coming from the St. Louis area. Uh-huh. You know, uh, we got about I two think minutes. That, we got to make it quick. Yeah, African Americans should go ahead and get their act together as far as changing their working to change their own economic status in this country. I worry about that uh, the rhetoric. And you know, the Southern Poverty, Poverty Law Center and also the ADL talked, tried to talk black peach preachers into going to the Million Man March. March. So they got their own good side and bad side also. But uh, I was a supporter of Trump, still is. And there's a lot of things that he put on the table that uh, I think would be very, very beneficial. You don't have enough time tonight to talk about it, but maybe I can talk about it next time we come in. All right. Listen, uh, we've got about a minute remaining. I, I, I didn't support Trump, but I didn't support Hillary Clinton. I am a registered Republican. I went for Johnson begrudgingly. I, I didn't care for Trump's comportment. Um, whether what you may think of um, President Barack Obama he was a, a class act, and for this gentleman to come in and, and to be able to kind of do what he was able to do uh, as a white alpha male uh, is extraordinary, and it's rather blunt. Um, I, I'm, but I do agree with what you say. I'm, a, I'm looking at it from a different angle. Um, if he's not going to help you, you've got to create your own infrastructure at this point. There's no choice in the matter. Let's recirculate the black dollar. Um, Let's do for self, because if if it's clear if it's clear that he's not going to help you or there's no, there's not going to be any government assistance, you have no choice. And, and so, you know something uh, else, work to change the paradigm of your school. If he, if they implement school choice, that's going to help a whole lot. You got to get out of this bastion of failure. It's not the students' fault. This bastion of failure called public schools and the teachers' union. That's a that's, I, that's I agree. disgraceful. We, we, we got to close shop, and I'll say also we've got to we got to stop the promotion of failure internally. We pr- we promote failure. So uh, continue listening. We'll do this again next week, folks. This is the midweek um, Yuletide Yuletide grooves. You know it's it's that time of that year again. So this is James Brown, Xmas. Hey America, actually, Hey America, James Brown Christmas song. Um, Saturday. America, it's Christmas time. Yeah.
Come on. 